All right. Welcome to the Survival Mode podcast. And today I have a, an amazing guy. You know, I just met him the other day, but he was referred, you know, somebody reached out and said he has a great story. And when we talked yesterday, we just hit it off. Maybe it's because we're Italian, but I think his story is, is just really, really amazing. Um, and I am not going to sh- steal his thunder, but what I really got out of our conversation was, you know, he's the epitome of not letting a life-changing diagnosis and things that would knock me down for sure. You know, he just got, gets up and keeps going and, um, and just really out there helping others. Um, his name is Rick Franzo. And not only is he done some things in the brain tumor world, a leading uh, social media group that has over 14,000 followers. He's written a book. He's been on radio. Um, just a great guy and what he's doing here. And um, Rick, welcome. Thank you. You said it all. I think we're done here. And so thanks <laughs> for having me on. Uh, you know, this has, been a, this has been a lot of fun and, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about, you know, let's start kind of what, you know, your background, you know, kind of growing up and then kind of what led to, you know, a diagnosis and tell me a little bit about that for sure. Sure, Absolutely. So uh, born and raised here in the beautiful Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, Um, went to school here, uh, you know, high school, college, uh, married a, a wonderful woman, Debbie. We've been married for 33, 34 years coming up in May and together for, gosh, 37. And we have three uh, amazing kids, uh, all adults, all grown. So we have the empty nest syndrome going here, which is just fine. It's okay. Love you kids, miss you. But, um, you know, it's kind of mom and dad time right now. I uh, worked in a lot of different, my background is fairly diverse. I was an on-air radio disc jockey uh, for about 10 years. I went to college for uh, communications. And so uh, left college when I got my full-time gig in radio, maybe not the smartest move, but uh, most of my experience is in the grocery business. And so I was uh, a buyer and a manager and a merchandiser and a professional baker for 12 years. And uh, I was also a corrections officer. I did a lot of different things. And so uh, never really settled. The last 12 years before I uh, started my uh, corporation, my business was uh, in a state university. And I was a buyer for the bookstore. But uh, four years ago, just about, I bought a franchise, a business coaching franchise. And I feel that my path with brain tumors, really, that trajectory led me uh, to be a, a, a business coach. So I've owned my own corporation and had my own business, business coaching for the last four years. So there you have it in a nutshell, Todd. Wow. Wow. So tell me a little bit about what led you to, you know, finding out you had a brain tumor, like, you know, what, like, what was going on, you know, in your life and what happened, you know? Yeah, life was good. I mean, you know, uh, back in college, taking classes, working, I worked a couple jobs. And so I worked at a local ski area and security during the wintertime and even in the summertime a little bit with the water park. And, um, 
you know, doing the family thing and everything was just, you know, coming uh, along down the road real smooth. And uh, I was at a barbecue, it was May of 2009, and it was the end of the season barbecue for all the security team from the winter time. And it was retired state troopers, uh, former police officers, uh, football players from the college, uh, you know, former corrections officers like myself, um, and just people that worked some part-time gigs up there on security. And uh, so we were playing horseshoes at the barbecue. It was at a retired state trooper's home uh, near mine. And during the game, I lost all strength and coordination in the right side of my body. I couldn't reach halfway to the pin when I tried to throw straight. It would kind of go off to the left or really high in the air. Um, I want to say I wasn't drunk. I wasn't, you know, impaired in any way. It just uh, everything in the snap of a finger just shut down. And it scared me enough for me to go to my doctor a couple days later he sent me to a neurologist who did some physical tests and said yeah it looks like you got some weakness in the right side of your body uh, we're going to do an mri so about a week later i had the mri done and uh, they said i'd get the results in a week so i finished up at about eight o'clock got home by nine had some dinner went to bed got up the next day went to the college to work and i got the call about 10 o'clock and they said and I knew that it couldn't be good. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Why are they calling me here at work? And so they said, Mr. Franzo, we usually don't make this type of call. We have a, a huge brain tumor. We have a neurosurgeon from one of the larger hospitals in our area. He's in the office today. You have a one o'clock appointment and be here. Wow. So let me back up for a second. So you're, you're at this event. You're at this like picnic, right? You're playing horseshoes and you're like, like, you're, you know, you're swinging your arm and you're like, something's off here. Was it like uh, you're like emergency room material or were you like, oh, this is just some weakness? I feel like what was going on in your head at that time? So, you know, pride, ego, machismo, whatever you want to call it, you know, typical guy nonsense. Um, you know, I don't know what's happening. Maybe I'm... Uh, I, I just I didn't stretch enough. I could have been having a stroke. It just didn't matter. Um, you know, you, you kind of, you know, eat through it. There was no pain or anything else. It was just weird. I didn't feel anything, uh, you know, it wasn't surreal. I didn't have like an episode or anything else, but it was, it was just, uh, it was just weakness. And so hindsight's always 2020. Um, should I have gone to the ER at that point? Yeah, probably. Um, but did I know? And so, uh, you know, we don't have the time here to go into the psychology of the male psyche. Uh, but, you know, two things that really hold everybody back, not only in, in life, but in business and just in general is pride and ego. And if you don't toss them aside, um, you know, you're really not going to give yourself a chance to grow. So uh, to answer your question, uh, it was ER material in hindsight. Uh, but it scared me enough for me to go to my doctor, which was a, a big step. I wasn't uh, really one to uh, go to the doctor that often. You know, it's funny because, you know, maybe it's because we're Italian. Who knows? Guy, machismo. I did the same thing. I like lost my like I had some visual thing and I was like, oh, my God, let me drink some water or whatever. I called my girlfriend. I got out. It was enough to annoy me. Right. Well, but, sure. 
<laughs> you know, I was like, all right, you know, I'll call my doctor and they'll call me back. But I didn't run to the ER either uh, initially, for sure. You it, know? It's so funny. It, we, we almost got that. And it isn't just Italian. I think it's just like a guy thing, upbringing, your history, your heredity, your role models, whatever it is. Man, I again, I, it was one of the worst things that could have happened. And, you know, I was like, it's all right. I'll just walk it off. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's okay. Suck it up, Buttercup. Dust it off, right. man. Dust it off. You know, you're going to get better. It's okay. You'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So then, you know, you know, a few days later, you know, you got this and they called you like, what's your thought about that? Because I, I know I interviewed a bunch of people that had done that had gotten calls back. I went through an ER route. And right. that's where mine was. So I don't have that experience of somebody calling me back, like, hey, on the phone, like, hey, listen, you got to, you know, you got to come here. Like, what was that like for you? So once I got to hang the phone up, because I just kind of dropped it and let it sit there. And uh, I, I just went into shock and I went and I told my supervisor uh, real simply, I kind of I, I walked into his office and I said, Hey, I said, I got a brain tumor and I'm going home. I can't even remember what he said. I just turned around and got my keys. And, uh, one of the people that worked with me said, uh, what's going on? I said, I have a brain tumor. I said, I'm going home. And that was it. That's all I said. And I walked out. So you can imagine their shock. And, uh, I just left. And so I, I got out this. I remember distinctly is, you know, I got out to my car in the parking lot and um, I, I sat in there and I just, uh, I kind of broke down a little bit. I started to sob and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, I'm dead. I can't even believe this. My daughter at the time, uh, she's my youngest, uh, was 11. And so I started to drive home and I had to pull over almost immediately. And I just pulled over the side of the road and I just started to dry heave. And I said, you know, it was, it was that devastating. And I still get kind of choked up thinking about it because I thought, how could this happen in the snap of a finger? Uh, you know, I'm not going to have the opportunity to, to help raise her, walk her down the aisle, whatever it is. And that was tough. And so I, I made it back to the car. Right. And uh, then I made a phone call. And who do you think I called? Your wife? No, she, she drives a school. Oh, bus. your mom. That's right. Yeah, my mom, when, when a guy's in trouble, if he has the, the chance, if he's, you know, fortunate enough to still have his, his mom around, that's who he calls. So I called my mom, who lives very near me, five minutes away. And I said, Mom, I said, uh, I just was told that I have a brain tumor. Debbie and I have an appointment at one o'clock at the neurosurgeon. And so I, I, I need you to be there. So I'll be to your house in five minutes. I said, don't call Debbie. I said, I'm going home. I said, I got to tell her. She goes, understood. And so... Uh, 10 minutes later, I was home <clears throat> and I pulled in the parking lot and she was out on the, on the porch. It was a beautiful spring day. And uh, she said, what are you doing home? I shouldn't be home for another five, six hours. And I just lost it. I said, uh, you know, uh, they just called with my MRI results. I got a brain tumor. I'm going to die. And so we've got an appointment with the surgeon at one o'clock down um, where I had the MRI done. And uh, I almost just dropped right there on the stone driveway. And she just free. It was chaos. And so, you know, she went running around and uh, kind of in circles. And so she's reaching for her phone. She's got to call work and tell them she's not going to come in that afternoon. And uh, my middle son was home from college. And so he came out and I just 
stumbled in the house and I sat in the couch and he sat on the couch with me and he just rubbed my back and I just sat there and, um, and, uh, I just was crying and I go, um, I go, I'm dead. I said, I can't believe it. I said, I'm just, I'm going to die. And, uh, there, there was nothing else. And so kind of going back to that whole male thing, um, tears are, are not anything to be ashamed of. And I shed a lot in the, uh, gosh, since all this happened and uh, it's just, uh, it's just how it is. So my mom came down, we went down to the, the surgeon and they said, um, they said, yeah, they had the image up there. They said, you got a huge brain tumor. He said, really, he says, to be honest, he says, I, I can't even believe that you're, you're sitting here in front of me and that you're alive. He said, we don't think that it's cancer. He said, because it's just enormous and it, the cancer would have killed you a long time ago. So we feel that it is more than likely 95% a brain tumor called a meningioma. Um, it is a non-cancerous, I despise the word benign, uh, because benign signifies harmless and uh, brain tumors, no matter where they are, and it's always location, 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 are very, very invasive. And so uh, it's in a highly uh, operable area because it's like your entire top of your head. Um, it At the the barbecue, what it did is it hit critical mass. And so it crushed your brain down as far as it could go. And it pushed your skull up four and a half centimeters. Said so you knew you had a lump on your head, right? I did. And I went to the doctor a couple of years prior. And um, I said, what do you think this lump is? And I was asymptomatic. I didn't have blurred vision. I wasn't nauseous. I didn't have nosebleeds. And so they said, well, you know, probably a calcium deposit. I said, okay. And so was it a misdiagnosis? Yes and no, because really I was asymptomatic. And uh, when that happened, an MRI was not, you know, standard operating procedure to check out a lump on your head where I feel that it's more kind of the way that it is now. So when a doctor tells you you're going to live, uh, you feel pretty good about that. And hindsight's always 2020, right? So six months before my diagnosis in the barbecue, I was having nosebleeds and tripping while I was walking upstairs and, and uh, uh, having little episodes where I was nauseous and, you know, almost passing out. But I thought, you know, I'm working two jobs. I'm back in, uh, back in college, the whole family thing. So it was another one of those, let's just, you know, walk it off, Rick, and, and just, you know, it's time to, you know, just get over it and, and keep moving on. And, Yep. Again, that's uh, what a mistake that could have been. So he said, um, you have probably less than two weeks to live and you don't have cancer. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, the, the pressure is just, uh, it's enormous on your brain. He said, uh, why well, I said that we were surprised that you were alive. He said, before this happened, he said, uh, you should have probably, uh, it was probably more likely that you would have had a grand mal seizure or you would have just slipped into a coma that you wouldn't have uh, ever come out of going to sleep. Wow. And so they put me on steroids. They put me on anti-seizure medicine. And uh, <clears throat> they said, we're going to need at least, this is an enormous brain tumor. My, my surgeon was just, the, my surgeons are my heroes, man. They, uh, some of my, some of my heroes, um, they saved my life. He says, I've been doing this for 30 years. And he said, I've never seen something so big. He says, and my colleague who's going to be in on the surgery, I already know who's going to be with me. Um, he doesn't know it yet, but he is. 
And so he has 30 years experience, he says, and he's never seen anything this big either. And so I went home and I had to just kind of digest uh, everything that happened. The conversation with my daughter was very difficult, um, but she was 11. And so I said, my recovery is going to be quick and, you know, I'm going to have the summer off, which I never had. And so uh, while I'm recovering, we're going to take walks and everything. And she was like, that's great. You know? Yeah, that, that's got to be hard. You know, back to when you were sharing about, you know, when you got the news, right, and that you were sobbing, you know, it was, it's interesting, because, you know, I think humans, I'm gonna say guys too, and, you know, for me, when they came into the room in the ER, and they said, you know, you're not going crazy, this is what they said, you're not going crazy, you got a, mar you know, a marble-sized tumor in your head, and it's kind of deep, and, and I was just shocked, right, and the only things that could come out of my mind, my, my mouth were like, this sucks. It was like, you know, just getting a gut punch, like, yeah. but worse. I couldn't even describe it. And I didn't all out sob, but because, you know, I, I got trauma, so I don't want to, you know, it's funny, the more I learn about trauma, it's healthy, like you said, to cry. It and is. Keep crying. And so tears came down my face and I'm like, this sucks. And I wish I had my mom because my mom passed like a few months, you know, that year early. And I was like, cause you're right. When you're sick, you want mom, you want mom's chicken soup, you want whatever. Right. Whatever. Sure. You know? And so, you know, it's my girlfriend was calling. She was just checking on me. I said, this is not good. You know, I said, this is not good. There's some, there's a brain tumor in my head. And she drove down and my ex-wife who I'm close with nurse practitioner, super smart. Like she could probably walk around a lot of these docs. And I said, she goes, oh my God, you know, this was serious. And I think, you know, when you mentioned to the benign, right? Because it took, they didn't know mine right off the bat by looking at it on the scan. Even when they first took it out, I had to wait a little bit. Sure. So, but when you're right, like this was the big thing. Benign is not fine when it's, when it's, and, you, and this is your term that you said to me, you know, hashtag benign is not fine. I think, you know, I had people reaching out to me. I actually had a good friend of mine who's a coach kind of help put together a post because I just couldn't put the words together. I, yeah, I shared my feelings. I just couldn't do it. And the outcry of what people were, you know, helping me with, but somebody from the Brain Tumor Association reached out and he said to me, and I'll never forget, he goes, you're never going to be the same in a way that, you know, you have this and somebody was in the CPU of your your body, you know, it's not like you had, you getting surgery on your arm or your hand, not to say that all that I'm minimizing that, but it's kind of weird because it's in your brain. You know what I mean? Well, you're, you're talking about an organ, Todd, that was never meant to see the light of day. So, you know, <laughs> the, the, the saying is, is that once air hits the brain, it's never the same. And um, it, it's absolutely true. But, you know, there is that, and, and I'm not going to use the term new normal because over the last uh, 24 months almost, uh, we've heard that so many times. So it's almost cliche, um, but uh, you, you have to get used to the new you. And, and that's really, a, it's a difficult thing. And, and there's a new you, I'm sure. There's a new me. Uh, I like the, the guy that I used to be, but this guy is uh, even bigger, better, stronger, faster, and smarter in a lot of ways. So, you know, everybody's got, you know, it's almost same circus, different tent. When we were talking about our stories and I've been involved with the brain tumor community for the last 
30 or 13 years and you for the last few. And so, you know, size doesn't even matter. Mine was the size of a cheeseburger. Yours was the size of a marble. Um, it's all the same circus, different tent. Uh, you know, it, it's not about the size. So, uh, <laughs> I had, I, I had to go in for surgery. And so I had an embolization, uh, which I didn't count on beforehand, but once they didn't, we talked about brain mapping a little bit, you and I, and, uh, they found that there were six blood vessels that were feeding this monster in my head and this uninvited guest that I, you know, was ready to evict. And, uh, uh just a side note, people name their tumors. And so I wouldn't give it the respect. It was just, uh, my tumor was called get out of my fucking head, uh, because, that's what it was. I, I gave it no respect because it disrespected me and it didn't deserve even the respect of, of a name. And so I, I had that embolization. And so that was uh, just as dicey as the surgery. Um, it was very precise. They went up through my groin and my carotid artery and they had to block the, the blood vessels. And so it was like little balls of glue almost that uh, had to go and block it the day before the surgery because they always find they, they find a way they find other paths and so it was uh, the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life they had me pinned down which they had to um, and I had to be awake and I had to feel it all and the brain itself doesn't feel any pain but everything around it does so um, I was feeling all the collateral pain and um, I felt everything they got five out of the six the biggest one was wrapped around my left eye and um they had to get it during surgery because if they tried to get it, then probably I would have been blind in one eye and the left eye. So the next day I had 10 and a half hours of surgery. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I lived. And so hate to ruin the, the end of the story before we even get there. Um, they, uh, they took my skull off. They drilled a dozen holes into my head. They sawed my skull off. They said, um, they were very, uh, Frank afterwards, very, uh, uh, there was, there was a lot of candor going on. They said that when they were pulling, they, they felt my skull. It was something they never felt before. It's like it wanted to pop off. They had to actually hold it down so it wouldn't pop off uh, because of the pressure that was exerted on it. So they sawed it off and, uh, they removed, they resected the entire tumor and, um, my skull was compromised, right? The, the bone was compromised. So they had to put a plate in there. So like uh, any good contractor, they put this titanium mesh plate in, they screwed it down, they put bone plaster over it, put my real scalp over it. And, you know, voila, uh, it's still pretty. And so that was the most important thing, right? And so, you know, that's the weird, like, of course, you've had a lot of, you know, they did a lot there. But the one thing I didn't, and I'm a nurse, right? Like, <laughs> this is my epic fail in my head, right? Is like, I didn't realize that the skull is, you know, I didn't focus on it because I was focused on other things that the skull is not a bone like the other bones in our body, right? Like, and I didn't, you know, they obviously, and the funny thing was they didn't have me shave my head. They didn't do anything. They said, oh, your hair could be fine. And they just cut, they do the burr holes and cut and then titanium clips. But it's the weirdest thing that the bone doesn't really heal together. It does it. And so that's that's kind of the, uh, you know, one of the things that people don't realize. Funny you said about shaving your head. Um, I went I, I went to a, a barber at the time that always cut my hair. He gave me a really nice fade and um, I had him shave my head bald. And, you know, I told him why and, and kind of broke down there in the barber shop. Um, 
And uh, so showed me a picture and I have a picture and I look at it and I, I still can't look at it very often. Um, I look like actually like Ackroyd, a conehead, and it, it looked just like that. And it was it was really awful. And um, but I had to shave my head. Uh, they were going to shave a portion of it. I said, I'll just take care of it myself. It was like that small measure of of uh, control that I uh, I wanted to have, which was kind of uh, ridiculous. But yet I had to have it. So uh, one of the things that I did, but uh, I had that titanium plate, but the the collateral damage from my benign brain tumor was that um, I was paralyzed from the waist down. And that's something they didn't see coming. They've seen it before, but they didn't anticipate that. That was the damage because of the pressure, um, not the surgery, but the pressure on my motor skills that it did. And I asked the question, I said, well, now this is even, you know, I thought it was bad before, and so you ask that question, well, it can't get any worse, right? Or you make that statement, um, it can. And so I said, am I ever going to walk again? And they said, there, there's a, a pretty good probability that you won't. And so, um, you know, we just have to keep going through the, the process, which is uh, monitoring what your uh, damage is and having you go to physical therapy. So I spent eight days in the hospital and then I got transferred to uh, Good Shepherd uh, Rehab, which had a unit up uh, by me in the Poconos. They made special accommodations. And that's where I was transferred eight days later. Go ahead. So let me ask you, like when, they, when so you're paralyzed from the waist down, you, you know, you're, you come off, you know, you come out of your, the surgery and you realize you can't move your lower extremities and you talk to the doctors about it. I what could feel you, them not, I could feel them. If you could, you could slap it, you could poke it, whatever I could feel, I couldn't move it. You couldn't move them. What are you, what's going on in your head about this? Like, what so, there, there's that five stages of grief that we talk about. I'm not patient. So I hit three of them. And so I never bargained or anything else. It was, um, I went through a pretty low time. And so I'll, I'll kind of touch on this briefly is um, while I was in the hospital, Father's Day rolled around. So, you know, how great is that? And uh, so I'm in there, I'm paralyzed. I, you know, probably, uh, you know, thinking I'll never walk again. And my daughter's there. Uh, first time that she saw me since my surgery, she's in the hospital room. She's on the whiteboard in there where the doctors, you know, this is your nurse. This is your doctor for the day. This is the shift or whatever. And she's writing happy father's day and they brought balloons and everything. And I'm just crying. I I'm just destroyed. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm a disaster and I'm feeling like I failed everybody. And, um, I was unbearable. Everybody left. They were like, we can't, we can't take this. Um, I just, I did nothing except for just was, I was an emotional uh, destruction zone. And so uh, that night uh, I'm laying there and it's dark and uh, I'm just, I'm hot and I'm not moving. And I go, what's the matter with you? I go, really? I said, this is how you're going to go down. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself. And this is the self-talk that I had. And I hit, I hit rock bottom. That was bottom. Uh, there was nowhere lower to go. And uh, I said, you, <laughs> you, you better, uh, you better do something about yourself and you better fight and you better do whatever it is. And um, again, that, that never happens again. You don't ever feel like that again. And um, so it was kind of an epiphany for me. So uh, from that point on, it was war. Uh, it was war with, with my body to walk again. And uh, so 
attitude equals altitude they, everybody thinks that's kind of a you know just kind of a rah-rah phrase or whatever it is it, your attitude means a lot so I was transferred to uh, to rehab and I didn't know what that meant it was I was in pain at that point and I was scared and I didn't know what to expect and so they said on the the whiteboard there they said what's your therapy goal I said it's to walk out of here they were like, okay, they wrote it down. Nobody believed it. Nobody. They, they all told me, everybody told me afterwards that they didn't believe it. The therapists didn't believe it. The doctors didn't believe it. The nurses didn't believe it. My family didn't believe it. Nobody believed it. The person walking on the sidewalk, they didn't believe it. Nobody. The only one that believed it was me. And so uh, as, as hard as I worked, uh, which I did, I, I worked my ass off to walk again. And I was very fortunate that things hooked up. Uh, you know, the connections were made and I was able to, to move again. Um, the therapists worked harder than I did. Uh, they included me as part of my therapy. Um, they, they worked night and day with me for me to achieve my goal. And so after six and a half weeks, I walked out of there uh, with wow. leg braces and, and a walker, but I walked out and then did months of outpatient therapy, taught myself how to drive again. My wife couldn't stay in the car with me. I was just too, too erratic in the car. And so she's <laughs> like, I can't be here. So wait a second. So you're like, I'm sure like, I know this probably, I'm sure the doctor's saying, yeah, you shouldn't drive, but you're like, man, I'm getting in there. I'm teaching myself how to drive. Is that what you kind of did? No, they never said I couldn't drive. I got out of there. They were like, <laughs> well, if you feel you could drive, go ahead. They didn't say to or fro. Maybe, maybe if I really would have pushed the issue, they would have said, maybe I shouldn't drive. But um, I had to, after a little while, I was driving myself to my, my outpatient therapy. I went back to work um, my feet were still paralyzed. And so I was using a quad cane uh, to get around, but I couldn't, uh, I wasn't going to take assistance or anything else. That wasn't pride. Uh, that was just me taking ownership of uh, being fortunate enough to earn for my family. And so assistance uh, in what way? I, I want to unpack this a little bit. Sure. You didn't, you didn't want to take assistance. Tell me more about that. So, you know, I had the opportunity. They talked about social security and everything else. And that that wasn't an option. I said, if I have to uh, be in a wheelchair and go back to work, that's how I'm going to do it. In fact, uh, the the therapists were so on board with what it was that I wanted to do is I was very close. I was 200 yards away from my office at the university. That's where the rehab place was. Uh, we would go uh, every day. We did some uh, when the weather was nice. Right. And it was summertime uh, outpatient uh, or outside therapy. Um, so I went in a wheelchair and we made sure that everything there was uh, uh, accommodated, ACA uh, accommodation so that I could uh, do my job. They even gave me like a grabber if I had to grab things from behind the counter or whatever. And uh, so they measured it all out to make sure that I was able to, uh, you know, get in and get out with the wheelchair and everything. And the restrooms obviously were and they had, you know, elevators and everything else. But just so I was able to. Uh, do my job and so that's that's what it was I there, wow. there was no other choice for me um and I'm not damning anybody that goes on to assistance because if it was any worse then yeah absolutely but I felt if I can move um I can I can do it and so I never talked about this on a podcast but it was something that I thought about you know when I got the diagnosis sure. like 
I played out like, what does this mean? What is surgery? Like I could potentially not walk. I could potentially, you know, all these things kind of come into your brain. Right. And I'm like, what? I can't work again. I can't like those worries. Like how do you support your lifestyle? You know, and all those things come up and, and I'm a guy that, you know, I've been working since I was a kid, you know, and just kind of getting after it for that's sure it. that's, that's it. what like, when i started talking to you i'm like oh this yeah. this guy's like me you know we're just getting after it and all those things those worries came to me and when you shared that i'm like wow you know and and you know if you can't work i'm not, just like you you know i'm not you know saying anything negative about people that can't for sure but i it was a worry of mine for sure you know it is and that's and and that's so common and uh, again, <clears throat> excuse me, not damning anybody that's on assistance because they, they obviously need it. And so, um, but I, I felt that I was not, uh, I wasn't a good candidate for it because I was able to walk uh, again. Not great, right? Still, still needed a cane. I used my cane today. It was a little icy out here. I went and I took the garbage out to the corner. I brought my cane. There's no you know, no shame in that. It was a little icy out there. I'd rather have the cane than than not. Um, but I was fortunate, and uh, you know, it, I'm humbled every day that I'm able to walk and and do it. So uh, I didn't have to, and so I was able to to drive again and uh, get to and fro. And so that's really what it is. And um, you know, I thought my life was was going good. I'm, you know, I, I started to write a book and everything else, and. Uh, everything's going good. And I had my annual, uh, I went from like every month, to every three months, six months, and then uh, yearly MRI. So I had a yearly MRI two years later in 2011. And lo and behold, what did it show? But another brain tumor. Wow. And wow. so that was, was kind of crushing. And so it was, uh, it's still there. It's right here. Um, it was diagnosed as uh, regrowth. And so uh, very small, um, not invasive. It's behaved itself. I get it monitored every year. So no action was taken on it. So I figure I'm clear. Everything is going good. And uh, in 2016, I lost hearing in my right ear out of nowhere. We were going to Europe. Uh, and so it was a couple of days before we left. And I lost hearing. And I said, well, that's going to be good for the plane ride. And uh I didn't think much of it, but um, coming back and, and slowly, I felt my balance start to uh, get worse. I was walking and, and falling. And so my annual MRI that came up shortly thereafter showed that I had another type of brain tumor, not cancer, but another non-malignant called an acoustic neuroma, right? And so it was wrapped around the eighth cranial nerve on my right side. And so it was throwing off all of my balance. It was causing all kinds of vestibular chaos. And it was um, something that would have been very tricky to get in surgery. So I went and I, uh, my surgeons had retired. So I went to a, a, a new brain surgeon who was uh, amazing. And we strategized that gamma knife therapy uh, radiation would be uh, the way that we could do it. It was a good size to do it. It would be less invasive. And so I had gamma knife surgery in 2017. And uh, as the, the tumor remains, but it did die 
Um, but as it started to swell or there was edema um, from it dying, the necrosis was happening from the inside out. Um, it was causing me to fall again and just walk and fall. And I was very unsteady. Uh, in that time, I had left my job that I was at at the university. I had a good run, but I wanted to do something for myself. So I bought a business coaching franchise, formed a corporation and started my business. Well, timing is everything. And so I'm going through physical therapy outpatient again after I launched my business two, three days a week. I'm going to physical therapy and starting a business. Uh, so that was incredibly difficult. But, you know, it's just the cost of doing business. So I was able to and I did about six months of vestibular therapy. And it was amazing. Good shepherd outpatient, you know, came to the, you know, the, the rescue again and, and uh, got me back on the right track. And I was able to uh, you know, kind of compensate for the weakness in one side of the brain to the other and compensate for that. And uh, everything was everything. So uh, my next MRI comes up uh, next month in less than a month. And so, you know, we shall see, stay tuned. But, you know, that's kind of where we are. So I live with two brain tumors right now. Um, you had asked me before. And so it's funny, you know, any kind of collateral, I feel the plate every day in my head, my pain level is usually around a four. Um, uh, for me, that's manageable when it gets higher that I have to take, uh, uh, you know, maybe a Tylenol or something like that, but I'm not on any seizure medicine anymore. I got heavy. I dropped weight. Um, here I'm talking to a health coach, right? A business coach to a health coach, right? So you'll appreciate this. And so I was able to go and regulate all my, uh, my blood work, um, my cholesterol, my blood pressure, things like that. So I'm not on any medication. It feels fantastic. And, uh, that's just kind of where I am right now. So, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of, it, it kind of is summed up like this. There's two types of pain, right? Um, you know, there, there's pain that hurts, and it all hurts, but then there's pain that alters. And I just heard this today and I thought it was so relevant. And so the pain that I felt and uh, everybody else around me felt, um, it really, it was a game changer for me. And so um, like so many times when people have something happen to them, they want a way to, to give back. And, you know, I can't, again, go back to the respect part of it. The brain tumors have disrespected me. I won't give them a name or anything else. Uh, I can't, I can't square off like I would with somebody if they, you know, came at me. And so the way that I can fight them is, is two ways. We've got, we've got so many heroes on the, on the research side. So that isn't really where my strong point is. And so uh, the most assistance that I can give is on the support and awareness side. And so I do what I can for that. Yeah. So the, the scans. So I have one coming up actually this month and, you know, it's always this, you know, in the groups in the world, they call it scanxiety, right? Anxiety. You know, so you're like, because it could change the game, you know? And, and the other thing too is benign's not fine. Like for my tumor, if, if it grows, they treat it like it's cancer, right? Through either surgery or radiation or, you know, or even chemo just to slow growth down. Sure. And, you know, so those are things that are always kind of, you know, in the back of my mind. And, but I think I love what you shared about, you know, just kind of picking, you know, you just kept going and, 
you know, and the thing that I like that you shared as well was that like you had hard times and you were difficult to be around. Right. And we all go, and that's part of it for sure. Like I, I think for me, when I got diagnosed, I thought immediately, I was like, you know, the stuff that I thought that was important, wasn't that important. And, and I focused a lot on stuff before, and I had to look at it because listening to you share your story, um, it brings up like, not only did you feel trauma from the actual surgery, but it creates a trauma. Like you shared, like, you know, when I look at that, it brings up memory or when I share, you know, and that stuff affects us, you know, all the time. Yeah. So when, when you were going through this, you know, you have a, you have a group on Facebook that is very well attended. And so tell me a little bit about that and what you did for helping yourself and others when you were going through this. Yeah. And the important thing is, thank you, is, you know, first thing we got to do is help ourselves before we can help anybody else. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that that I did was I started to write a little bit and I'm not a writer um, or I wasn't before. And so not really a great writer now, but uh, I did it to heal myself. Right. I had to face kind of the things that had happened. I, I could do it by uh, writing. And I had amazing support. I, I couldn't have asked for any better. I, I had just incredible support, but I still felt incredibly alone. And I thought if it could make me feel like that um, with the support that I had, it could make anybody feel like, I mean, this came along five words, just dropped me and everybody around me to our knees. And it was, you have a brain tumor. And the only thing worse is if your child would have a, a brain tumor. And so, um, and that's exponentially worse. And so um, I started to connect with other people on social media who had brain tumors. And I never did social media before. I never had time for it. And uh, I found that it was a good uh, platform for us to uh, connect. And so I started a group called Brain Tumor Talk, uh, December 26th, the day after Christmas in 2009. It was just me and a couple of my friends. And, uh, you know, word got out and slowly, very, very slowly, people started to find it. And um, they started to join and they started to share their stories. And now it has over 14,000 people from over 50 countries. And, you know, uh, did I found it? Yes. Is it the biggest in the world? Yes. What does that mean to me? Well, ego wise and pride wise, nothing. Um, but, you know, satisfaction wise is that um, I had the opportunity to uh, create this uh, place, a safe place, a place where people um could have a voice, they could be heard, and they could be surrounded by other people who get it, and uh, they don't feel alone, and it, it does help, and uh, I'm very, very fortunate that uh, I have uh, admins, I have uh, four admins from around the country, brain tumor and brain cancer survivors, and uh, they help me to run the, the group on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's just, uh, it's really, I feel very humble and blessed that I'm able to do that. I mean, I wrote a book and um, I'm writing another one about servant leadership right now. Uh, I did a radio show for four and a half years to get word out, but none of this is about me. Um, at, at the end of the day, it's kind of the legacy that you lead. Uh, you know, if I get hit by a bus uh, tomorrow, um, I'm okay with that uh, in the fact that I know that I've helped people um, along the way. And uh, so I'm, I'm good. I don't have 
you know, I've I've done some good. I've left a I've left a pretty good legacy. Uh, my MRI is coming up, and so let's just say that something is there, or whatever. Bring it. You want you know, come get it. It's you know, you want some, you come get some, man. That's that's the way that it is. I'm, you know, you're gonna know you were been in a fight if you're coming after me again, right? And you keep trying and you keep failing, and that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. And so that's that's kind of where where I stand. That's my attitude. And you know, with the business coaching, it's really it's a lot of um letting people know they're not alone. It's tough to be in business, especially pandemic or no, even pre-pandemic, it was tough. Now it's incredibly difficult to be in business. And, you know, we talk about the different things that we do for businesses. It's like learning how to walk again. You got to get that foundation. It's like, you know, learning how to stand. And then you have the the fundamentals. You got to learn how to walk and then fast forward, uh, you know, run and run as fast and far as you want, you know, and that's really where it kind of leads. So uh, I'm doing what I love. And again, I'm very, very fortunate and uh, really meeting people like you and people in the brain tumor community. Sometimes I'm asked if I would have gotten diagnosed earlier, um, would that have been better? Would I, if I could go back, would I? And the answer is no on a couple of levels. Number one, you can't go back. So that's just stupid. So I'm not going to give that any thought. And, and the second is, is that I wouldn't trade the, the relationships that I've made and the changes that I was able to make for anything. I feel that I'm a much better person. I'm a better man. I'm a better father, husband, um, just a human being because of everything that happened to me. And I wouldn't have the opportunity to meet so many people that I have through this. I wouldn't have been able to meet you and uh, our mutual friend, Wendy, who had introduced us and uh, so many people. So would I trade it for anything? No, just the pain that my family had gone through, especially my wife um, as my primary caregiver, that I would trade away in, in a second because the caregivers are really the, the heroes here, not us. Um, they do the heavy lifting, not not us. They they're the ones that really deserve all the accolades, not not us. Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend had our. She had a challenging time. You know, she did great. She's a nurse, but it, you know, it, I'm so grateful um, for her. You know, and for the people around. Um, and honestly, and you touched on this when you shared your story. Is I, I had an amazing uh, neurosurgeon just an amazing guy. Like, you know, he saw me three days after a diagnosis in an ER at a smaller hospital. And I walked in there and honestly, with tears, tears rolling down, I said, I said, you know, I swear. And I said, this is fucking hard. I said it to him four times and he looked at me and he goes, I know. And he said, I don't know what it is, but it's got to come out. And so we just do one, you know, we do hard things. But I'll tell you, I cannot say enough about how amazing this guy is, not just in the work he did, but just his bedside manner and and all kinds of things. And to him, it's probably routine. You know, he's probably does like two of these a day, you know, and yeah, I mean? maybe I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I you know, it, it, I, I don't know how routine that, that anything is. The brain is so incredibly complex, complex. and. Uh, you know, I think that every one of the, the surgeries probably holds their own set of uh, challenges for sure. So when you're when you're in there, you know, I spent time in the OR as a nurse before. And I because you just see these cases come in and out. I saw some brain. I saw some heart you know, all that stuff. So I had that going in, which I you know, the one thing, honestly, 
that, you know, you brought up that I never, not that I, I acknowledge is I never heard about the naming the tumor, right? Even though I'm in the groups, right? And I'm glad because I don't want to name it. It's mostly gone because then if I name it, I'm attached to it, right? Like you kind of, yeah. <laughs> giving it like an identity and all I wanted was it to be, you know, gone. And, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about is, you know, it's how we cope, right? And so one of the, the things that we do to cope is we, we kind of go into shock and we kind of shut down. So, you know, when people are newly diagnosed and, and, you know, one of the things they say, now, what do I do? And so, you know, one of the things that I would uh, tell them as a strategy is bring somebody with you. I mean, uh, it was always uh, me, my mom, my wife, uh, or uh, my daughter would come, or my son would come, somebody would come besides me and my wife. And why? Because I was listening, but that was one thing. My wife kind of shut down because all she wanted to hear was that I was going to live and everything was going to be okay. Um, because that's kind of where she was in the process, especially early on. And so we needed somebody there to really listen, take notes, and to be able to recap on everything, what the strategy was. And everything that, that happens when we have these is, is strategy. Um, we all like Google things. So I Googled what a craniotomy was and what a mistake that was. It was a horror show. I, I just stopped watching it. I'm going, man, this isn't good, man. They're going to be slicing and dicing and cutting and drilling in my head. I, I don't want to think about that anymore. So there's, there's wonderful, I mean, the groups are good, you know, like brain tumor talk and things like that, but uh, for the, the real facts and everything that, that you get, uh, American Brain Tumor Association, the National Brain Tumor Society, um, they have uh, the, the people, the processes, the systems in place to really help you get from point A to point B and, and really, uh, you know, figure out what your, your care program can be and, and the real facts of, of what things are. Sometimes, um, you know, more things come out uh, that are opinion and not facts. And so you, you want to get, and, and this isn't like in a group, I'm talking online. So when you look at things that are maybe not PubNet or .org or, you know, .gov and things like that, you're looking at uh, maybe the, the quick self-healing things or whatever. Uh, and everybody, I'm not against alternative meds. In fact, there's some that are very, very good, but there is no cure for brain tumors and brain cancer. There's no known facts uh, facts of why they, they come. They're the number one cancer causing, uh, uh, killer of children from the age of 20. Uh, there's over 700,000 people that are living with the diagnosis of a primary brain tumor, which means that it starts in the brain and it stays there. Um, we're in the United States alone, uh, metastatic tumors. The number is, is so much greater. Uh, there's no effective way to screen for them except for MRIs and CAT scans and things like that. So, uh, and it, it, you know, brain cancer, it's not a death sentence because there's different things coming out all the time, but it is one of what they call orphan, orphan diseases where there isn't the funding and, and, uh, the research going into finding a cure, uh, for this. And, um, it's obscene, uh, the, the lack of, of funding that it has. And so that's where I kind of jumped in is, uh, the fundraising and the awareness and, uh, just the support, 
uh, for that because we kind of go hands off on things that we don't understand. Um, you talked about something that was so, so relevant and, and, you know, I, I want to talk about it for a second is I'm sorry. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Um, that's you know, and that's, and that's what we tend to say. Uh, somebody passed away. I'm sorry. Or, you know, and, and so what do you want people to say? Well, that's what they say. Um, it, it's gotta be that, that call more. Um, yeah, there's something, you know, why do I ask you to, to raise awareness and, and, you know, get on this train about brain tumors, um, especially in May and whatever, when it's brain tumor awareness month, because like you, there was a time when I didn't have a brain tumor either. And so, um, you know, does it take hitting us, uh, you know, personally for that to happen? Yeah, it does. Um, but is that, you know, that's the, the game changer. So, you know, that's where the pain uh, can bring about change uh, a little bit. And that's why you do these podcasts and things like that, right? That's why I do what I do. And, you know, um, it, it's just like that. We don't, I never want anybody to walk alone on that path. Um, you know, I just don't. I, again, I felt incredibly alone, even though I had amazing support. Not everybody is that fortunate to have that type of support. So uh, it's getting people from that point A to point B and uh, getting them unstuck. And uh, the most important thing is um, uh, not to lose hope, my favorite four letter word. And it really is because hope is real. It's a tangible thing you can wrap your arms around. And, um, you know, it, it is just getting through to the next day. That's hope. That is hope. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I did not Google stuff. I, 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 so I was like, I'm not Googling anything. I just kind of listened to my doctors, my girlfriend, my ex-wife, they did. And they kind of filtered the info. I was, that was one of the things I said, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm like, let me take one step at a time. And um, the thing that I found very fascinating, because you brought up some great interesting facts about, you know, brain tumors and all that is because when there's something in your head, they're like, well, we got to see if it came from somewhere else. So they scanned me from tail to, you know, from top to bottom. And I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, I had a cancer evaluation, I, probably the, the most thorough assessment, 48 years old. And, you know, you know, I've had, you know, I've had a brain tumor, right? And, and my goal is not just brain tumor, but something that's just traumatic that, you know, you get a cancer diagnosis, there's so much breast cancer, there's all this stuff like out of nowhere, well, or that people are going through that are dealing with. And it, it's, um, I think the thing that really drives me is not just awareness, but really starting to understand to live your life. And, you know, eat like you have cancer, you know, and live your life like you're dying, you know, in a way to start enjoy some of the things. Cause I think one of the things that I learned, and I'm going to ask you this is I, you know, I'm, I'm a healthy guy. I eat, I work out. Right. And, and I'll tell you a funny story. I do, uh, I done right. Israeli fighting, Right. I want to get into jujitsu because I feel so I told my <laughs> I must have been fogs, you know, my last neurosurgeon visit. I go, doctor, I said, when can I go back to doing Krav Maga? And he goes, is that like MMA? I said, kind of. He goes, Todd, that's kind of stupid because <laughs> you hit your head and he wasn't wrong. He's super nice guy. Right. Right. 
And I, but this is what, and I was like, you know, you're right, you know? So obviously I haven't done it, but like part of me wants to start the role and do all kinds of different things because I enjoy it. But, you know, one of the things that I, I learned was that there was this piece that was missing for me. Like it was the stress. Um, I, I realized too, um, and, you know, Sharon, having some other people on the podcast and when they shared the story, like, you know, my upbringing was challenging when I was younger, very, where I had PTSD, but I never called it that or whatever. You know what I mean? I've right. never had a label. I just drove through, but I sure. think driving, living my life with the gas pedal on and the brake at the same time internally, I'm not going to say cause that, but it made me think like, man, I have to look at what stress I have to look at how I'm living my life and other areas of my life, you know, um, what kinds of things did you like, you know, when you're doing, like you're going through this, what were the biggest kind of learning for you with this? So many, so many uh, lessons learned. I again, that would be a whole nother podcast. I, I think that I can just sum it up and and uh, kind of say this is uh, it really showed me the value of living a grateful life, and that's what I try to do every day when I get up in the morning and uh, really just be grateful. This isn't a dress rehearsal. This is you know there isn't a, a do over or anything else. This is it. Uh, this is it. And so we've got to do what we can with it. Um, you know, just because I went through that and people say, you're inspirational. I, I can be kind of a jerk. In fact, I can be a real jerk, right? Just because I went through this doesn't make me anything except for a human being, right? And so I have to remind myself not to get caught up in the petty things and the minutia of the day and, you know, kind of put that aside and, you know, look at the the bigger purpose, look at the, you know, play long ball a little bit and, and just be grateful. And, uh, you know, again, uh, we, we've got to do with what we can do. If I can go and, and help somebody along, I'd rather be that person. And that's how I'd like to be uh, remembered. And, uh, you know, we kind of move on from there. So there's a lot of lessons that we all learn along the way. And, you know, it makes it kind of personal to, to each person. There's a lot of similarities, but um, the one thing that I can say is uh, it, it really showed me to, to, you know, really be more purposeful in, uh, in being grateful every day. Amazing. That's amazing. The one thing I wanted to touch, because it's like gnawing at me that you shared and because I identify with it is um, you hit a bottom, right? You shared when you hit your bottom, right? And sometimes people hang there, right? They do. They do. So. What do you think was the turning point where you were just like, you know, tell me about the bottom and what, what you, what you did to kind of get yourself out of it? Well, I mean, you know, I kind of went over what, what it was like. I just felt like I failed and, and I didn't. And it was, you know, I felt that I failed so spectacularly um, that there was no way out. And, you know, I didn't make this next thing up, but it's absolutely true. And this is, you know, a story that people tell, but uh, I liken it to both the, the coaching, uh, business coaching that I do and, and for the uh, brain tumor community as well. And so it's kind of like this is, um, you know, why I do what I do. And we talked about the whole Simon Sinek before we got on here, you know, the golden circle, you know, not the what, not the how, but start with the why and everything else. So 
there was a guy walking down the street and I know if you've heard this before, but guys walking down the street and all of a sudden he falls into a hole and it's a, a big hole. It's a deep hole. It's got steep sides and he can't get out. So he's stuck down there. Right. It's the bottom. Along in a little while comes a doctor and he's walking down the sidewalk and he yells up, Hey doc, can you help me out? I fell in this hole. I can't get out. So the doctor stops, pulls out a pad, writes a prescription, tosses it down the hole and he walks away. A little while later, a priest walks down the, the sidewalk and he goes up, hey, Father, Padre, could you help me out? I fell down here. I can't get out. Can you help me? So the priest stops, pulls out a pad, writes down a prayer, tosses it down the hole, and he moves on. A little while later, I come down the, the sidewalk. He goes up, hey, buddy, Franzo, can you help me out? I'm down here. I, I can't get out. I look down there. Yeah, it's pretty deep. So I jumped down there with him. He looks at me. So what the hell did you do that for? He goes, that was really stupid. He says, now we're both down here. I said, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Wow. I'm not going to let anybody go through anything by themselves. One of the things that, that we can do, just, just show up for somebody, man. Just be there. Sometimes people just need encouragement need somebody to be there they do and they and they need more sometimes people don't need you to say anything they need you to just keep your mouth shut and for you to listen because maybe nobody ever listened to them before it isn't about what we say i can i can come up with a billion different inspirational things they're going to ring hollow if the person just wants somebody to listen to them let me i know that was awesome you you, you actually all the question you just answered them all in in that but you know as being part of that the brain tumor talk group which is a great group what do you feel is more the biggest common theme of where people need the biggest help i think they just want to know that um it's almost that c.s lewis kind of a dynamic is what you two I thought I was the only one. It's surround people with people that get it. Um, people have, there's people from different countries. There's people that don't even, uh, you know, you have to use a translator to uh, the translator app to go and see what they're posting. Um, you know, there's people that have cancer on there. There's people that um, have uh, non-malignant tumors. There's people that have lost their children. Um, just so heartbreaking to uh, brain cancer. And um they just want some place where they're kind of understood. And again, it's a platform for them to um, yeah, seek information, sure. Uh, but just so that they can kind of let some of these things out. They, they have somebody that's going to listen to them, um, that they can. It's a safe place and it may not be safe with their family um, because their family doesn't understand. And they're like, well, you look good. You know, I don't know why you feel like right? you, you look great, you know. That, that may be true, but, you know, we don't know what's going on underneath the hat, you know, and so uh, they just want to be around people that get it. And it's as simple and incredibly complex as that. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not about medical advice and it's not about all of that kind of stuff. Is that a component of it? Sure. Um, but the real part of it is, is that uh, people share their experiences, they share their thoughts, um, so much of we do, and we don't acknowledge this, it's based on emotion. What emotion does it make you feel uh, when you go onto a group and you say something? And it's not just, uh, 
people go on there and vent, you know, they're like, I had enough of this. And, uh, you know, and, and people will offer encouragement or they'll just let them know I felt like this too. That's probably one of the most uh, powerful things that, that somebody can say when, when, when I'm introduced to, to people like yourself and, you know, we, we have similarities and everything else. I don't feel so alone and that you probably don't feel so alone either. And, uh, that's, that's everything, man. We just, you know, if we can go through life and just have somebody to kind of walk next to us down that path, no matter how difficult or rocky or treacherous, um, that's just everything. It just is. And so that's why I do what I do professionally. Um, and that's what I do. Um, you know, as my, uh, my passion and my philanthropy and things like that. So. So what would you say to somebody that's just really struggling, you know, and um, they're kind of at their bottom and um, you give them just a piece of a piece of advice and they're just feeling anxious, down, depressed, whatever it is. What 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 would you say? I I really would do more. I I, I don't usually give advice. I really would just listen to what it is that's personal to them. And then we would talk about what the path looks like for them to get to uh, point B. Everybody has a point A and everybody has a point B. And, you know, it, it goes both in the brain tumor community and professionally. Um, what, I, what I've gotten really good at by uh, through just being present is for so many years is helping people to level up whatever that looks like to them uh, to get unstuck right when people are down there I've been there right so I can speak from experience on on that so that's where kind of the mentorship comes in Um, don't don't take it upon yourself to do it yourself Um, you know take that pride in that ego and just toss it out because they're gonna they're gonna stop you from growing and and uh getting some of the things that you need to, to move forward. So that's what it is. I've, I've learned to be an effective listener. And, um, you know, they say listening is a soft skill. That's a bunch of nonsense. It's definitely one of the most tangible skills that you can have as, as a human being, uh, just be present for people. Uh, you know, they just want to talk about themselves and, and some of the things that they experience because they feel alone or they feel scared or they've got anxiety or they just want to be heard. And that's, and, and that to me is everything. So I don't give advice for people like that because everybody's different. Everybody is, uh, you know, it's personal to them. So what I do is I, I basically listen and we craft strategy based on that. That's fantastic. So I, I want you to share definitely a little bit about the company, the coaching you do. I see that behind you there and how, you know, You've gone through all this and you continue. Life's a journey, right? We got scans coming up. You're tell me a little bit about this coaching. I want to hear a little bit about it and who you're helping and and all that. So, you know, the growth coach is it's a franchise. Okay. And so I bought the franchise in 2018. Uh, It's a franchise that has 20 years uh, in the, in the uh, business coaching realm. Uh, We have coaches all over the country and all over the world. The network is phenomenal people with all kinds of backgrounds, uh, backgrounds like mine. Uh, There's MBAs, there is banking executives, everything else. And what they did is, uh, you know, they wanted to take ownership wherever they were like me, they had a good run, but they wanted to do something for themselves. And so they, uh, they bought, uh, 
really a, a business, right? That they don't have to get up and have a job anymore. And so uh, what we do, everybody that comes in has one thing that uh, is critical for anybody that is dealing with people. Uh, they have an enormous sense of empathy. Uh, they are able to go and empathize with people and really help to get them unstuck. So um, we just go and, and help people to change their mindset, how they see things, and uh, really go on to whatever their hopes, dreams, aspirations are now and moving on into the future. And so um, one of the, the greatest things I did was engage with this and you know form a corporation. And, uh, you know, I'm in it my, by myself, but not, uh, you know, by myself in, in the real, it's my business, but I'm uh, surrounded by other people that uh, have the same goals. And so, you know, anybody's just a phone call away and as am I. So it's really, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. I love the growth coach. I love business coaching and I love what I do. I get up every day, uh, really excited to, to hit it. If you're not getting up excited every day, then, you know, before you go to work, then you just have a job and you don't have a business. That's, that's fantastic. I agree a hundred percent. And the other thing too, is you wrote a book and you, did you write two books or you're on your second book? No, I'm on my second book. I'm writing a, a book now on servant leadership, but the book that I wrote is uh, how horseshoes saved my life. Ironically, right. A tale of two brain tumors, because if I wasn't playing horseshoes that day, um, again, I never would have went to the doctor and I would have expired and you and I and all the wonderful people that are watching this podcast, we wouldn't have the chance to, uh, you know, be here uh, to see uh, this interview. So uh, that's really what it is. It's a tale of two brain tumors, but then the third one came around. So maybe I'll do another book, uh, you know, after that. But uh, again, it was, uh, it was first to heal myself and then uh, I, I've really used that as a, a tool uh, to help others to uh, dig out of whatever hole that they've fallen into and they can't get out. That's awesome. And, you know, and I have to share this and I want you to share as we talked yesterday, you know, a little bit about the podcast and, and mm -hmm. I wanted you to share about the book, obviously, but, you know, you, the proceeds you get to the book are to help other people out, right? I do. I use those. And so I don't really talk about that. It's kind of when people reach out to me um, again, uh, you know, I was so, so fortunate again, and I'm so grateful. Um, this could be devastating in the financial way. And I was just very, very fortunate. I had great insurance. Um, I had so many things in my personal life squared away that uh, the impact financially to me was uh, very minimal, um, if, if at all. And so, uh, some people are just, uh, this crushes them financially and, and otherwise, and it, it destroys, uh, livelihoods. It destroys whatever they were doing career-wise, relationship-wise, otherwise. Um, so if I can help to, uh, you know, make their load a little lighter, uh, from proceeds with the book, uh, and, and, you know, the, the generosity of others that, that I approach about this, um, then, then we do that. So I love Nothing I really talk about, I've, you know, I've done some things, but that's kind of beside the point. I don't, um, you know, that's kind of, uh, it, it's just what we do. Um, it, you know, it, it's, isn't that, I saw that like, it's the definition of, of character, right? It's what we do when no one's watching, right? Yeah. Your character and integrity. And so, you know, it, it's, it's important. And, you know, I, uh, I just, uh, I don't, 
I, I would rather be that person that helps, right? We got enough successful people in the world. That's one thing, right? What about the people that kind of help others on their way, um, you know, to make their load a little lighter? That's that's really what, what it's about. I mention it because it's God's work right there, for sure. It and, definitely is, yep. For and sure. uh, and uh, I appreciate that. And that's stuff that that I value for sure and helping other people. And so, you know, all of the information will be included in the show notes if you want to uh, check it out and see what Rick's up to and, um, and follow along. And, you know, for anybody, it's not just any people with brain tumor, but anybody going through this hard time or, you know, got a gut punch from something, you know, it's, um, that's what we're here for, for sure. So, um, Rick, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your amazing story and, um, you know, and just kind of getting up and, and um, being the epitome and, and a model for, you know, just keep going and one foot in front of the other and, and all the help that you do for sure. Oh, thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it, Todd. This was this was awesome. And again, if you need more information on brain tumors and brain cancers, absolutely. Uh, the American Brain Tumor Association and the National Brain Tumor Society are um, two uh, amazing nonprofits that we have here in the United States um, that can really help you to get all the information and uh, the resources that you need. And I'm sure that you're going to put those links in uh, as well. So those are the two that I uh, definitely always advise that, that people uh, check out for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Rick, and you have an awesome day. You too. Thank you so much, Todd. All right. Take care, man.